You know, welcome everyone. We do have some fun around here, so feel free to laugh and, and enjoy our time together. Hey, I had a question for you. Why are we so obsessed with celebrities and heroes? I mean, think about it. It's, it's gone on for, for centuries. The ancient Romans, who you're going to see a picture of Caesar Augustus, a Roman emperor, was admired and was worshipped by a lot of Romans. A lot of them were forced to worship him, but others admired the decisions he made, and so they erected statues just to admire great Augustus and all the other Caesars. Throughout the centuries, people have worshipped the hero. Into the 20th century, a couple of guys by the name of Wayne and Garth that, uh, who met in a basement in Aurora, Illinois, and hosted a fictitious cable show called Wayne's World. Some of you remember Wayne's World. You know, these guys would get together on a Saturday night and, oh, we're going to have Aerosmith in our house. So we're not worthy. We're not worthy. Excellent. Yeah. I apologize to everyone under 25. That was, you know, but they were excellent. Well, it continues into 2015, this, this hero worship and celebrity worship. So much so that some psychologists have actually identified a new disorder called CWS, which is Celebrity Worship Syndrome, which means that people are so obsessed with a celebrity, their personal lives, the successes they're having, but also their failures, is that we want to know about a person's failure that somehow when a celebrity fails, then we think, oh, we're not so bad after all. And apparently in the future, it may be a problem with celebrity worship too, as fictitiously portrayed in the Hunger Games books and movies. Celebrities are worshipped for their prowess of killing someone else, and they're celebrated as long as they're living. But then the mourning occurs when that celebrity falls at the hands of another celebrity. Why are we so obsessed as as humans to worship something beyond ourselves, whether it's a thing or another person? What's within us that just draws us to that place of adoring something that somehow at times we can't even grasp? There is a reason why we worship. There's something about us that causes that. And so we're going to look this weekend at why we worship, but ought so about what worship is. And how do we worship? How do we experience that in our entire lives? So that's what we're looking at this weekend. But before we do that, let's pray together. Father, thank you that we're together. And thank you that there's joy in your presence. And I ask that you would just encounter us today, that you would come and just be here with us as we learn about yielding ourselves more to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So why do we worship? Well, the answer to the question is we worship because that's what we're made for. In the summer of 1646 and into January of 1647, some Scottish and English church leaders gathered together to say, hey, we want to put something together in writing that could help people grasp the Christian faith. And so these writers put together what's called the Westminster Catechism. And a catechism is just really a body of teaching that has facts about the Christian faith. 
And the format they used was a question-answer format. So there would be a question posed and then an answer that was to be shared um, among the people. And so there was an adult version of it that was only a mere 196 questions. And they thought, well, you know, we really want to teach this to the kids too, so we're going to shorten it a bit down to 106 questions. So fortunate children. In both documents... The very first question and answer is this. What is the chief end of man? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. These church leaders believed that it was important for adults as well as children to really grasp what their purpose is. What they were made for. And see, the question and answer highlights what God wanted us to know all along. In the book of Genesis, from one Bible translation, we can read, God patterned them after himself. Male and female, he created them. God created us to display what he's like. The ability to feel, to think, to love, to relate. He created personalities that could create great works of art. Songs. They could take within their hands a craft, a piece of wood, and build something beautiful. That minds that could produce great works. He created us where we could come into his presence and say, God, I love you. And he would say, I love you too. Look, God, look what I brought you today. I made this. Oh, that's good. That's awesome. Show me more. Show me more of your works. Well, here, God, I made this, and here's the project I'm working on. That's amazing, God would say. And we say, yeah, isn't that great? God, thanks. And it was so easy because this is what you made me for. Yeah, it really is. You go and enjoy that. I love you, God. I love you, too. You see that sense of approval, that, that purpose, that's what God created us for. And that long-lasting approval is the one that comes only from God. But an event happened that totally corrupted, that distorted this sense of purpose that we have. An event that, that so shattered, so destroyed our relationship with God that there was a separation. That once where there was a closeness, God was distant. Where was this comfort in God's presence now was one that was filled with fear. Where people would run and hide. Would hide our hearts. Try to look away because we feel so ashamed. See, that event was sin. And it so totally destroyed this relationship. And robbed us of our purpose. But the big story of the Bible, the biggest story of the Bible is is that God is going to pursue a people so he can say, I have purpose for you. I'm drawing you back to my purpose. And throughout the entire Bible, that is the storyline that God is, he said, I have to have some way, I have to have some model that people can understand that they can relate to. So this creative God creates this story this drama, if you will, and he cast in the leading role the nation of Israel. He was going to take the nation of Israel and say, hey, you're my show-and-tell nation. 
So when people look at you, they're going to be able to see, oh, this is what it's like to relate to the the one true God who loves me. And he knew that they would need some help along the way, so he wrote a script for them. And that script, many of us know, is the Ten Commandments. And the opening line of that script says this, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship any other gods besides me. Worship literally means to bow down. When we ask, what is worship? It literally means to bow down. It's an acknowledgement with our body and with our minds and with our hearts is that, that God, you're greater than I am. You are the creator. You're the giver of life. You're boss. And I just yield myself to you. You see, that, that yielding is a form of action. Of that saying yes to God is, a, is an action that God invites us into. And as we take that action, then we say, God, I admire you. You're excellent. And we're doing that with our hearts and our minds and our entire body. With the focus being on Him. Him only. Not only did God write a script, He decided to move in with the people of Israel. nation of Israel lived for a long time in the desert. And God decided, I know they're going to struggle, so I'm going to move into their campground with them. And so in the middle of the camp, and you're going to see a slide here in a moment, is that God built His tent, put His tent right in the middle, and there was a purpose for that. As you notice the screen, on the outside there are thousands and thousands of people called the tribes of Israel that are surrounding the outside of the camp. In the middle, you can see that little yellow box, and within that yellow box is a red box. It's called the tabernacle, and tabernacle simply means tent. And within this tent, there were lots of items that were used for worship of God. And then the innermost part of that tent was the most holy place. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant, which basically was this huge chest that the stone tablets, which were the Ten Commandments, were written on, were placed inside that chest. And they were kept inside that most holy place. And then God would come in in the form of a cloud and just rest on the tent. Now, God was pretty creative in doing that because... He wanted to be in the very center of the camp so that when people got out of the tents in the morning and they stretched and would have their morning coffee, they were facing God. They were focusing their attention on God. When they would sit around the campfire telling stories and laughing and they'd look over there in the center of their camp, right in the middle of them is God. When they would cook recipes around the campfire and they would taste it and they would look over and say, but there's God. When a business transaction was occurring and and people would shake hands and they would look to the center and the focus, there's God. When people are going on dates or getting married, right there in the middle of those activities is God. He wants to be with his people. And throughout the story of the Bible and through the Old Testament, this, this worship of God, of God's presence dwelling within the tabernacle or this tent, went on for years and years and years. And then there was a point in Israel's history where they shifted that focus from a tent to a temple. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. 
But in both of those situations, there was this place where God settled with his presence. But there was a time that God shifted his priority. There was a time where God moved away from focusing his presence on a location to a presence, his presence, being within a human. And that human is Jesus Christ. The New Testament writer John writes this, In the beginning the Word, who is Jesus Christ, already existed. He was with God and He was God. The Word became human and lived here on earth among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Jesus, God Himself, He preached, He healed the sick, He cast out demons, He went to weddings, and He hung out with His friends. And all this activity, Jesus right there in the middle of life, everyday life. And see, that's the thing that God has been about, that in everyday life, I'm going to be there with you. I want to be the center, the focus of your life. And Jesus just continued that with his friends. And there came a point where Jesus told his friends, hey, I'm going to go back to my father. And it's like, what, Jesus, wait, we love hanging out with you. He said, I'm going to go back to my father. But here's what he tells them. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, which means encourager, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. So Jesus is telling them, yeah, there's there's one that is coming, the Holy Spirit, who's going to be with you. His presence, my presence, is going to live within you. I never leave you. God being with us. God at the very center of our lives. Not a God who's somewhere out there that hopefully if we're, we're good that he'll answer us or if we kind of look up and maybe he won't strike us dead. No, that's not the God we worship. The God we worship welcomes us. He welcomes you. He welcomes me to be in his very presence. He wants to be with us. He's here with us today. How do we know that? Well, I like the words of a pastor from years ago who commented that God's presence is what distinguishes his people from the rest of the world. God's presence is what distinguishes his people from the rest of the world. And one of the best ways that we can celebrate and remember and experience his presence is through corporate worship or worshiping together in a large setting like, like today. So we know a little bit about worship, what it is, but how do we worship? How do we express that admiration? Years ago, there was a worship seminar that was held in Cincinnati. It's probably the late 80s. And a number of churches came together to really focus more on how do we experience God's presence in our meeting times. And I was going through my notes, and I came across a file, and there was this huge packet of information, so I blew the dust off of it and thumbing through it. And I came across a page that says, Worship, Bible references, that there are at least 540 Bible references related to worship. And so within those Bible references, we're encouraged to sing, to bow down, to dance, to lie on our face, 
to lift our hands, to shout, to make joyful noises, to kneel. So I started reading through that and thinking of all these expressions of worship and so many opportunities. How do you know which one to use and do at the, the same time? Or what do you do? And does anyone relate to that? Kind of you read something? Okay, there are a couple here. The other services kind of looked at me. It's like, Dave, I think you need a vacation now. Just... Yeah, I mean, there's so many different expressions that, that we can do in worship. And we are to use them. We are to shout. We are to dance. We are to sing. But there's learning to ride the wave of what God is doing as we're gathered together is an important expression of that. In the history of the vineyard, our times have included just extended times of singing songs together. Whether we're in a meeting like this, or whether it's a small group setting, or whether two or three people are together, that's by design. That's intentional. It's not just to be a good way to open a meeting. But it's intentional is that we're able to focus on God that way. It's been part of our history as a movement. It's part of our history as a church. Carol Wimber, the wife of John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, was reflecting back years ago on the ministry she and John shared together. And she commented that John and I understood that for us as a Vineyard Movement and as a church, Song and singing would always be attached to the presence and manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So when we sing and we say, yes, God, we we say with our hearts and our minds, God, I want to know you. Then God shows up. And as I mentioned that during the singing and time, there's times we'll raise our hands and there's those expressions of worship that'll come. But as I mentioned earlier, too, that there's a wave that we can learn to ride. How many of you are surfers? Really? <laughs> this service wins because no one raised their hands the other two services, so we've at least have five and a half surfers in here. Well, for the sake of this weekend, see that? We're all surfers. So turn to your neighbor and say, I am a surfer. Okay? All right, we're all surfers. Excellent. Okay. Now, since many of us are new surfers in this, I want us to think in terms of surfing being like riding the waves, but riding the waves of worship. If you notice the picture, there is the huge crest where you catch the wave and the water sweeps down and it's like, yeah. But then if you notice toward the front of the picture, the waters become calm. All of that is riding the wave. So if we're going to be surfers, if we're going to be worshipers, worshiping together in this setting, what's one of the first things we have to do? Well, one of the first things we have to do is get on the surfboard. We have to get on the surfboard. And if you grew up in a church background, and the ones that had programs that listed everything that was going to happen, you would notice at times it said, call to worship. That's getting on the surfboard. That's, that's an invitation that says, hey, everyone, it's time to worship. It's time to surf. It's time to come together and focus our attention on God. It's his time. And the way we do that around here is that that opening song like we did today, and that next opening song when we go into our extended time of worship, 
That's our call to worship. That's like, okay, it's time to focus on God. So as we get on the surfboard, there comes the next phase. And the next phase is learning to catch the wave or engaging with God. Now, this one is an individual decision. Is that some of us prefer to come to the front to worship. Why? Because it helps focus and to experience God in just the taking that step forward. That's one expression of catching the wave. We've been doing that for a number of months, and some of us, it, it, it's a huge step to take. Others of us prefer to stay at our seats and just close our eyes, and maybe even sit down, because our weeks have been so full of distractions, and it's just been so tough to connect with God that we just want to spend some quiet time with Him. And we just close our eyes and we wait. That's catching a wave. That's connecting with God. Others of us may stand at our seats and just listen to the music. And just soaking it in. Or others of us who aren't really big singers, that maybe we tried singing in the third grade and people booed us and we haven't tried singing since then. Okay, okay, I'm just kidding. I have, I wasn't a big singer in the third grade, but I did sing. So, okay, never mind. Distraction. For those of us that are like me that, aren't really big singers, catching away for you may be saying, okay, on this song, on this day, I'm going to try to sing because it's for God. It's not about my neighbor. It's not about me going on the road. It's for God. Or some of us may just raise our hands. Others of us who like to stand like this with our hands in our pocket, a big step of catching the way for us may be doing this. You're riding a wave. You're catching the wave because you're taking that action. When we catch that wave, there's a next place we go, and that's that loving connection with God. It's that place where our hearts connect, where we're in that crest, and sometimes the crest is exhilarating. Is that there's just so much movement, there's so much joy, we feel like shouting, we feel like singing, we feel like dancing. But then the wave changes, and it goes into that quiet water. And there's times that we'll just be quiet before God, just to enjoy His presence. Or the songs that we're singing will become quieter, because that's what God's doing, that's the wave that we're riding at that point. An example of this comes from Second Chronicles chapter 5. I'd like to read that in a moment, but 2 Chronicles was written during a time in Israel's history where they had just come back from a very difficult situation. They were in the point of their history where they had lived as refugees in other countries, where they had heard stories of this God who, who visited his people, who lived among his people, but they just were not at that point yet. They weren't sure if God really cared about them and whether he could be trusted so they're learning or relearning what it means to connect with this God of Israel. So let's see what happens. <clears throat> then the priest carried the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, again this, this huge chest, into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place. 
and placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. And the cherubim were these huge statues of angels that their wings were spread within the most holy place as just a symbol of, of protection and God's presence there. So they were like, like guardian angels. So underneath the cherubim, the cherubim spread their wings over the ark, forming a canopy over the ark and its carrying poles. So the poles would carry the box into the most holy place, and it would be set down, and then they were trying to pull the poles out, but they could still see the poles. So the poles are in front of the most holy place, but not from the outside. They are still there to this day, at least in that day. Nothing was in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in at Mount Sinai, when the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they left Egypt. Then the priests left the holy place. All the priests who were present had purified themselves, whether or not they were on duty that day. And the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Haman, Jedithan, and all their sons and brothers were dressed in fine linen robes and stood at the east end of the altar, playing cymbals, lyres, and harps. Hey, they've got the worship band going now. So the worship band is going and then joins 120 trumpeters. So you've got 120 priests playing their trumpets. And the trumpeters and the singers perform together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raise their voices and praise the Lord with these words. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. And at that moment... At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. Did you notice the crest of the wave? Is that there was this point in time where they're gathering, they're worshiping, praise is rising on their voices, the music is, is going up. And at that crest... God shows up. And when God shows up, the priests who were about their activities and, and, and doing the work of that day just went, whoa. There was, just, there was just this quiet because they were enjoying the presence of the Lord because God had shown up. You know, each week as a church staff, we meet together on Wednesdays to talk about the previous weekend and the upcoming weekend. Because <clears throat> one of the things we really want to do is focus this time that we're together on God. And so we'll, we'll talk about what are we doing, what can we change up, but how do we better ride this wave of worship? And so we're looking at, at what God is doing in our church right now. And how many of you were here last weekend when Teresa Dedman was here? Wasn't that great? What she came and did for us is exposed us to how the creative arts can really be incorporated into a worship experience. And so where we're at as a church, in light of that, God's stirring some things up, but we're taking time to, to ask, okay, with what we've seen and experienced, how does that fit in to the wave of worship that we, we have currently going? So we're spending some time talking about that. And so God is doing and, and stirring a lot of cool things here in our worship time and but I have to tell you, as a pastor and a member of this church family, I, I, there's some things that concern me. And I, I want to talk about that with you for a few moments. That, you know, it's, sometimes we, in worship, 
or just hanging out together, we kind of lose sight of that it's for God. And then we really make worship about us. You may be saying, well, how do we do that? How do we make worship about us? Well, that's, I think that's why it's helpful to talk about it. You know, I love the informality of the vineyard, the comfortableness. I love that I can speak dressed like this and I don't have to dress up, that I can drink coffee and listen to the message and, and just have the freedom, the atmosphere of acceptance where I can move around. I love that and I never want to change that. But there are times that when we are ready for worship, that when we actually stand up and start to sing, is that the music will start playing and there's conversations that will start. Oh, not that song again. Or, hey, how was your week going? Well, what do you think of the weather today? Bingo's going to win. And, and there's these conversations that start happening. And it's like, wait a minute. When that's happening, you're distracting yourself and those around you. You're falling off the board. You're losing the wave of worship. Or we'll see a friend if we're starting to engage in worship and there's somebody we haven't seen in a while and we'll go running to the front or we'll go to the back or we'll go across the room. Hey, how you doing? And give them a big hug. Yeah, how you doing? It's a great activity. And, and hear me that those things are great to do, but within the context, not within the wave of worship. Or another one is that as we come into that loving connection with God and we're just praising Him and God will visit us with, hey, here's some words of knowledge or or prophetic words or words of encouragement that I want you to share. When we get those, and it's okay to write them down or to even draw a picture with them and write it down and just hold on to it. But sometimes I've noticed that just in our eagerness to, to communicate what God is doing is that we'll, we'll go during that, that most intimate time of worship and give that word to somebody and pray for them. That's knocking that person and yourself off the, the board. You're losing the wave. It's like if God is giving you that word of encouragement or prophecy, hang on to it because if it's from Him, it'll still be good after the worship. You'd be able to talk with a person. Or sometimes we'll, we'll look over during the worship as we're starting and we'll wave or, or there'll be a song that we're really starting to enjoy and we're listening to music and we're saying, oh man, this band is really good. And, oh, and we start cheering and oh, and it's like, oh, it's about the music and not about God. Or we'll start shouting in the middle of a song that when the wave is going quieter, because we wanted the wave to go bigger, because we enjoyed that ride. You know, we all face these things. We all do these things. And my, my point of bringing it up is not, not to be mean, but to remind us who we're here for. What is the wave that we're to be riding at this moment? Well, it's for Him. It's about Him. So can we just agree together today to just really focus Keep our focus in check on God. Can we agree to that? Okay. All right, great. Somebody, somebody come give me a hug after the service when we're out. Hey, we're going to worship here in a little bit. We're going to ride that wave of worship. But before we do, I'd like to invite my friend Tyler Brown up. Tyler, our worship leader, just welcome him. Notice that Tyler gets the taller stool and I get the lower one. We had some problems with that last night. 
So. But we adjusted. But we adjusted. <clears throat> I was in the back, by the way, with the worship band, and I, I, I thought I heard. Did Dave do an impression of Wayne's World? Okay. All right. Let me make sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, some, Tyler, I wanted to just ask you some questions. You've been leading worship for a while. Uh, when did you start leading worship in a church? Um, you didn't ask it that way at the other services. You've had practice. Um, I don't know when. I've been on it with a couple of breaks for a couple of different reasons. I've been leading worship um, for about 20 years, most of my adult life. I'm 45 now. Okay. What do you enjoy about it? Well, I, I enjoy a lot about um, leading worship. When I first found out that there are people who will pay you money to, to lead worship, and it's one of the things I'm made for, I, I jumped on it. And, and I encourage all of you, if you can find a job, it's something that you love to do or you're made to do and get paid for it, do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as far as like when, I, when I'm leading worship, one of my favorite things is, um, you know, I close my eyes a lot because you people distract me, frankly. Uh, and, and I'm trying to worship too. I am. Um, but sometimes I have my eyes open, uh, and I often, it's not rare at all, I'll see someone crying, and they're confused. They don't know why they're crying. And if someone is being touched by the presence of God, maybe for the first time. I'm sure that's happened to some of you in here. Uh, and I didn't mention this at the others, but our drummer today, Rick, big guy, ex-cop, he's a softy. I often look back there, and he'll be <laughs> playing, and, and I love that. <laughs> So, Tyler, you know, I've talked a lot about worship today. Uh, from your perspective, what do you want us to know about worship? Yeah, um, we, ha- we, ha- we all have a lot of um, distorted pictures of who God is. And almost every time, almost all of our pictures of who God is are so much less than who he is and how he feels about you. And, um, uh, you know, the, the New Testament, when Jesus came, in the Bible, it says um, Jesus is the very essence of, 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 of the Father. So if you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus. When there are other pictures of, of God that are harder to understand, it seems like he's angry. You know, some of us grow up, we think God's angry or he's waiting for us to mess up. And, and, and uh, it's hard to worship that God, isn't it? Um, but when, once you realize that God is crazy mad about you... Um, yeah, that's what I want you to know. He's, he's better than you think. Yeah. yeah, that crazy, mad love that God has. And that was the other question I had. How do you think the worship affects God's heart? Okay, I'll tell a story I've told before, so some of you have heard this. A hundred years ago, when my older daughter, Ona, she's, who's now 16, who'll be 17 this month, when she was three years old, we used to live in Mount Airy, uh, down on Kipling Avenue, a little house. Came home from work one day, and when uh, and, and I, you pull around back the house, walk in the back door of the kitchen, and she was in the front of the house with her mom. And from the front of the house, as soon as I walked in the back door, she ran, yelling, "Daddy's home! Daddy's home! Daddy's home!" The whole way, leaped into my arms, and just gave me a little three-year-old bear hug. And, and I remember going, oh, this is what being a dad is all about right here. This is, this is a, you know, she wrecked my heart. And as clearly as I've ever heard God speak, he said, this is what you do to my heart when you worship me. Yeah. 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 
What if it took me like 20 minutes to recover from that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you start having conversations. Yeah. So anyway, so what, after that, I just had a new perspective on, on the, that I have the ability to affect the very heart of God when I, when I worship him. And, and the same goes for you. Yeah. Thanks, Tyler. Would you lead us in worship here? Would the worship band come on out at this time? And I'll give you a moment just to get ready. So we are going to worship. and One of the things that, um, that I sense God was, was doing this weekend, last night during the service, I, I felt that God was saying that during worship, when we're just focused on his, pre- his presence, is that he was going to do some healing, some physical healing for people. And so last night, uh, I shared that, said, hey, did, since this is what God was doing, if that happened to you, come up and tell me after the service. And there was a woman that came in that uh, has had some battles with asthma over the years, and she was just having some, some difficulty last night breathing. It wasn't a major thing, but it was, um, it was a problem. And as soon as we started with worship, she said, God, I want to sing, but I can't sing. My, I'm just so congested. Can I, I just want to sing. And as soon as the worship started and she engaged, instantly she was healed. The, the lungs just cleared. I shared that same story the previous service, and someone came up after that service and said, Dave, I came in here, and my shoulders and my hands were just numb. They were aching. I couldn't move them. And just through two or three songs of worship, I was like, this is bothering me. And God, can you do something here? I just want to focus on you. The pain went away. And after the service, he said, I'm still pain-free. God is here. God wants to encounter you. So get ready to ride the wave with him. Engage with him because it's for him. So if you're able, stand, stand up and let's worship together. <laughs>